Fascinating interview for you guys. Uh, we're doing a rare uh, double host here with Anna and I because the gentleman we're about to interview has addressed both of us. It's Pastor James David Manning. He is a chief pastor at Atla World Missionary Church. He's a bit of a character. He was born in uh, segregated Red Springs, North Carolina. He's against gentrification in Harlem. These all sound uh, like good uh, causes. Uh, he believes Harlem is the all the land anointed holy, and that's what his uh, church is named after. Now then you get into questionable things such as calling Barack Obama Satan uh, and comparing him to Hitler, uh, let alone the fact that he believes a Starbucks might have put gay semen in your coffee to make it taste better, by the way, to be fair to Starbucks. Uh, so, Pastor Manning, great to have you on the Young Turks. Um, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm doing fine, Jink. Uh, the, uh, I was born on a plantation in North Carolina. You can say rural South, and I appreciate that. You're giving people that historical bio on me. But yeah, I come up out of the plantation mentality there in North Carolina. But I'm doing well. Thank you for inviting me to be on your broadcast today. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, look, Pastor Manning, uh, to say you're controversial is an understatement, uh, let alone what you've said about us, which we'll get to later, which is fun. Um, <laughs> But mainly, uh, you've attacked uh, other black celebrities, Jay-Z, Cornell West, uh, Charlie Rangel, let alone President Obama, who uh, you have uh, tried in your own mock trial and said he should be hung, which is kind of amazing, let alone calling him a long-legged mac daddy. Jenk, I've never said anything about any of these persons names that you have called that was not true. Everything I've said is true. And I mean, okay, you can, one can, you know, can, can say that I'm controversial and all right. Okay. I mean, there are many ways of spinning the activities of the things that I do, but primarily the foundation of what I do is that I speak the truth and people think it's controversial and the truth is controversial. It always has been. I'm not the progenitor of that. Anytime anybody, anywhere, at any period in history speaks the truth, it becomes, for those who oppose it, controversial. But these people that I've talked about, they all deserved everything I've said and more about them. Pastor Manning, you have advocated for stoning gay people to death. How does that make you different from some of the extremists that we cover in the news on a regular basis? Does that make you a so-called man of God to want to stone people to death? No, what it does is says that I'm a preacher of the word of God. I'm not the one that wrote the script, Anna. Listen, Moses said that sodomites should be stoned. It's right in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus rather. I'm not the, the writer of that. I'm just a preacher of it. So don't blame me if you want to, you know, be upset with somebody. Be upset with Moses. Okay, so do you agree with uh, Taliban and ISIS uh, when they stone uh, people to death uh, for things that are in their scripture, including... Uh, being gay? Well, I have to tell you this, that if if the word of God says stone uh, based on a heinous violation of humanity uh, and ISIS or Al-Qaeda or anybody else who has the wisdom and the integrity uh, to reference that, that scripture by Moses, then yes, I agree with them. You seem to have a bit of an obsession when it comes to the gay community, and you specifically refer to them as sodomites. So instead of referring to their sexuality, you immediately go to a sexual act that they partake in. Why is it that the word sodomy always comes to mind for you? Do you feel that maybe normalizing uh, the gay community would make you question your own sexuality? 
Well, I can tell you the reason why I use the term sodomite because it's a biblical term. And Anna, you're gonna have to, and you and Jen gonna have to keep in mind. I'm a preacher. I preach the word of God. My my rule and my my thumb here is what God's word says. God Almighty, the Bible calls them sodomites in several places. And so I've never seen the word gay referring to anybody's sexual preference or social behavior in the Bible. So I'd be lying to call these people. Uh, of, of gay. You know, what you ought to challenge me if I call them something like freaks or perverts, which they are, but I don't call them that. I call them what they are. I call them sodomites. The, okay. Except you just call them freaks and perverts. You, but anyway, okay. Yeah, so, you know, what I also want to know is, do, you, do you, you think that being gay is a lifestyle choice, which it absolutely is not? I mean, I would be very amused if you could tell me hey, the, hey. the specific moment in your life where you chose to be straight which didn't happen. You were just born that way, correct? Now, why do you think being gay is a lifestyle choice? Do you think that it's something that tempts people? Is it something that's tempted you, maybe? Uh, the best witness to answer your question, and you can then follow up with an interview with her, is Charlene McRae, who is the wife of Bill Humpty Dumpty de Blasio here in New York City, who says before marrying de Blasio, she was a lesbo. And then after marrying him, she decided to go back straight. So that's a choice. It's a choice. And she bore children. But she said prior to that, that she, you know, she ran around with the rest of the sodomites. Uh, so the answer to your yes, it is a lifestyle choice. Okay. Yes, it is. All right, Pastor Manning, you said that Starbucks was putting semen of the sodomites in their coffee. But here's the interesting part. Because it, quote, it flavors up the coffee... And it makes you think you're having a good time, which then makes me wonder, do you equate drinking semen with a good time? Well, you know, you're, you're pushing me up in a little bit of a corner here now, Jink, because I have to be very cautious here. But let me, in, my, in, in all precautions that I can exercise here now, say that, well, you know, a number of people think that semen tastes good. A number of people think that drinking semen is a good idea. And Do you see not, it that way? No, Anne, I don't think that myself personally, but I'm just giving you the references of what other people and think. And that's just the way you've described it in uh, your past sermons. But, okay, continue. Well, so, okay, so if, if a number of people, I mean, you've got literally millions of people around the world who really think that, you know, the taste of, of semen is quite uh, in, uh, a, a, a flavor. And they seek it in the midst of other kinds of activities. And so one would think, well, all right, well, start with one, not one would think, Starbucks has deduced that, listen, you know, in an ingenious way, I would say, that were more and more the infamous ingenious way, they've discovered that since people like semen, and there's so many people drinking it from one another, their body fluids, why not put it in our coffees and flavor up our coffees? But Pastor Manning, I'm getting a sense here overall. They have the same experience with semen and in their in the lattes as they have in their bedrooms late at night. So, Pastor Manning, I'm getting a sense for overall from your descriptions here that you think that being gay is a lifestyle choice, so it's a choice that a lot of people would want to make. You think that semen is delicious to a lot of people, and, and these are choices that people make. So it seems like perhaps if it wasn't for the Bible and the teachings of Moses, etc., that that you might have been tempted by those choices as well. Uh, is, that, is that the case? Have you been tempted? Oh, absolutely. No, 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 no doubt about it. You know, uh, Jenk, I spent three and a half years in prison. Uh, and uh, I tell you 
that I saw a lot of that activity going on in, in prison. I mean, it was, it was just the order of the day. It was a part for the course. I was in one prison I was in, down in, um, in, in Rayford, Florida, called Union Correctional Facility, uh, where the average sentence back in the 19, late 70s when I was there in that prison, the average sentence, Jink, this is no lie, was 100 years. I mean, judges threw out 100-year sentence prison, prison sentences to those people like it was okay, like ordering breakfast at McDonald's. And they form unions. The first same-sex marriage I saw was a marriage of a, a, a sodomite named Bahamas Mama, who had dyed his hair red and used to walk around in white shorts, tight as you could possibly be, in a halter top. And one Saturday out on the, on the yard, you know, they had a, a marriage. He got married to one of the inmates, and all the other inmates were brokenhearted because they could no longer pursue sex with him. So, yeah, I saw that and, and was, was, was tempted, but I didn't yield to temptation, by the way. I, you need to know that. And make sure you publish that as well. All right, so you, you, you thought about having gay sex, and that was tempting to you, and you thought that might be delicious or really fun, but you decided to hold strong and not do it. Is that, the, is that roughly right? That is true. Okay, that is true. Okay. All right, now, I think we've settled that issue, <laughs> so we can move on to other things. What's, what's your beef with Barack Obama? I mean, here's an African-American president. I got my own issues with him on substance and policy, but I certainly haven't got anywhere calling Satan and all the things that you have. What do you have against the president? Well, I, I think that what we need to be clear about, first of all, he's not the president. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. Well, we need to obviously. Be <laughs> Why? <that>. Why? <laughs> I mean, you know, listen, Jink, I mean, you, I, you're a pretty big boy. You understand the way the world works today. You, you have a pretty wide audience and, you, and a lot of influence. But you know there is a manager and a gatekeeper to, even to your influence. And nothing happens in this world in which we live where the, uh, there is not some sort of a positioning by people of power. Obama is not a U.S. citizen, but people wanted him. The, the powers that be decided, well, it doesn't matter whether he's a citizen or not. He's going to be president. Hillary Clinton stepped back, shut up, Bill, sit down. We're putting Obama in office. And when it came time to, when we complained about the Constitution requires that one be constitutionally eligible, born here in America, a natural-born citizen, and somehow or another, that became evident the media came out. Bill O'Reilly was paid. I don't know. Either he was bribed or paid large sums of money, or Fox News was paid large sums of money to shut up the conservative voices that were calling for the, uh, the uh, demonstration that Obama was indeed a U.S. citizen. The man right. is not a U.S. citizen, so therefore his presidency is invalid. And you can sneer that all you want. It's still true. It's yeah. still true. Okay, that's complete and utter nonsense and uh, as far away from the truth as you can imagine. Uh, he was born here. He has a short-form birth certificate, a long-form birth certificate. He has an announcement in the local paper saying that. But I'm not... I, hey, Pastor Manning, I, I don't want to get, I don't wanna get back into that. Okay. Were you in Kenya that night? Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. So that's nonsense. We Let's say we disagree on that. Okay, all right, but anyway. So let's move on, let's move on, because that's not an interesting uh, uh, discussion. Okay, so, but what do you have uh, issue with him on the substance? So like, okay, why, so you claim that he had a love child and then he shot the mother of the love child outside the White House. I mean, you understand that people think that that makes you a lunatic? 
Well, let's talk about the fact that he is not black either. You call him African-American. And, you know, the, uh, the, there's an institute, Howard University has a study going and a demand on America to pay reparations to people who are descendants of slaves, who are allegedly either black or African-American. And the criteria that the, the world-known Howard University Black Nationalist Institution, uh, the criteria that is established to receive reparations for all Black people from the American government would exclude Obama, because first of all, his mama's white. That's the first thing. And the other thing is that he, has, he cannot demonstrate in any way having any ancestry uh, back to plantation or African-American or African slavery here in America. So he's a misfit. And Howard University has said it, not James David Manning, but Howard University has said that Obama is a misfit. And a whole lot of other people, NAACP said it as well, up until the point they dropped a few million dollars on Julian Bond, when Julian Bond and the NAACP in the early stages of the Barack Obama campaign back in 2008 said, no, we're going with Hillary, because this man ain't black. And they, when, when, but when the, whoever it is that dropped those billions, I think it's George Soros, dropped those billions on NAACP, all of a sudden he came black because of the green. So let's get this straight. Howard University says that Obama ain't black. He could not receive reparations. Now, uh, what was that? Other, yeah. What's that other question? Pastor you Manning, your interpretation of that study, I'm 100% sure is absolutely wrong. But nonetheless, what I find interesting is that you are someone who experienced extreme racism, extreme discrimination throughout your life, extreme hatred. And instead of learning from those experiences and maybe changing your own behavior and not hating on other people for ridiculous reasons, you've decided that Barack Obama isn't black enough for you. So you are judging him based on the color of his skin. You are judging him based on his heritage, his history, his culture. I mean, don't you think that as a man of God, again, I, I use that phrase because as a man of God, you're supposed to be more moral than others, right? You're supposed to be more loving than others. But by hearing your answers to all these questions, all I hear is hate. How is that acceptable and how is that considered moral? Well, now, you know, I, I, you may have me jammed up in a little bit of a corner here when you said I've judged him by the color of his skin. He's been up on a lot of corners right. lately, yeah. Well, well can I finish, please? Go ahead. Uh, as opposed to the content of his character. Well, I have, I suppose I've judged him by both. I would rather rest my case, however, on the fact that I've judged him by the content of his insidious, satanic, if you will, uh, character. However, I have looked at the fact that he is a mixed breed. He's a mixed race. So I've had to come to some conclusion based on the color of his skin, that he's not authentic as well. But here, no, I've not experienced serious uh, racism. You know, Anna, people call me an Uncle Tom. Uncle Tom is generally in the vernacular of the hood and black people and the ghetto dwellers. Uncle, an Uncle Tom person is someone who does not experience racism. An Uncle Tom is someone who loves Mr. Charlie. He loves, he, he, can't help, he can't help but, you know, praise Mr. Charlie. Mr. Charlie never does anything wrong. I'm an Uncle Tom. Go, I talk to all your people. I talk to all black folk. They'll tell you that I'm an Uncle Tom. I'm a porch monkey because I love white folk. And, and Uncle Tom cannot be accused of having experienced serious racial concerns. And by the way, while Uncle Tom in Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel of Uncle Tom, the, the daughter of the profane, uh, the very powerful, if you will, famed preacher Lyman Beecher Stowe, when she wrote that novel, she was simply pointing up the fact that there is a character 
That is a character of strength and love for his or her own people, understanding the circumstances under which they, the, the way the hood and the liberal racists have twisted that term is absolutely sacrilege. It's blasphemous that they've made it become what they've made it. But no, listen, when I grew up in the plantations of North Carolina, I grew up in what I considered a loving environment. I did. And I've taught that you just don't know my entire bio. But other people who've listened to me for years have heard me say, I didn't begin to understand what Racism was all about till I came to New York City, began to listen to idiots like Rap Brown and Huey Newton and Eldridge Cleaver and even some of the things of Dr. King and Malcolm X. Then my heart got spoiled towards relationships with blacks and whites. So, no, I didn't, ex yeah. I didn't experience extreme racism. No, I did not. Pastor you're Manning, wrong. I'm sure your experiences on the plantation w were lovely. Uh, but I also want to ask you a little bit about what you said about Obama being a, a mixed breed. Do you think that uh, biracial individuals are beneath you? Because that's certainly the way that you're making it seem. No, I never said that. I just, I'm just calling it like it is. I mean, he is a mixed breed. Doesn't mean he's, he's beneath me. He just isn't black. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I can't help but note the irony that you, earlier you said he's from Kenya, and now you're saying he's not black. Yeah, well, you know, if he's from Africa, that's a pretty good claim to being black. But anyways, uh, here's the main thing I want to ask you, Pastor Manny, because as I, as I hear you, I mean, look, I'm trying to figure out if you're trying to audition for SNL or you're just trying to bring Uncle Ruckus from Boondocks into the real world and, and make him a living, breathing entity. And, and so I got to ask, I, I mean, it does, to the rest of us, it looks like you're not on the level. So is this all an act? What, what is it? What's your angle? Well, I think that uh, what I have been able to demonstrate, Jink, over the past six or seven years that I've been in this particular medium is that I've been able to gain a large number of people who see that I'm quite biblically serious and that I this is not some act. I Listen, my life gets threatened. I don't get up from a, from a studio plot and go out and have dinner at Cipriani's here in New York City. No, I get up from this and I walk out on the streets of Harlem where people who have listened to me or have think, or if, if in any, for one instance, think that I hate black people that my life is in jeopardy. I do this at the peril of my own life. And I don't know anybody else in America who's as serious and straightforward as I am and truthful about the social, political, and racial conditioning in our nation that will speak the truth that I speak. My life is on the line for every word I say. I bring my behind. I bring my life. I bring my future to every statement I make to you. No, this is not an audition for SNL, and it's sure not, sure is not an addition for the boondocks, Uncle Ruckus, or any other idiot you might want to try to label me as. <laughs> okay, and so how many people are in your church? Because you, you know your church is in Harlem, which you you know you you say you love and you, and you want to protect it. That's why you want it to be, in your words, a no homo zone, right? You, as we discussed earlier, right. you don't want to be tempted. You know, that's right. Uh, and, but. And you say that you're against, uh, you know, white people coming in and gentrifying the area, fascinating, et cetera. So how many people come to your church, given that you say a lot of things that might piss off a lot of African-Americans? Well, I mean, you know, obviously there, there are some people that are insulted by things that the Pope says. There's things that are insulted by people that are insulted by things that you say. Uh, so in that way, I'm not necessarily unique. 
However, I do think this, and the proof is in the pudding. I've been here for 33 years on the corner, 123rd Street and Lenox Avenue, now known as Malcolm X Boulevard. So obviously somebody in this community must love me. Somebody in this community must think well of me. Somebody in this community must be supporting me. And yeah, I am against the gentrifiers with their thieving selves. Fascinating. Okay, and then finally, how do you make a living? Is it mainly through the church and the donations at the church? Yeah, I'm a pastor. The church takes care of my expenses. I don't have a, a large financial need. I'm not a greedy person. I'm quite aware of the offerings and, and that comes into this ministry. And I'm able to eat. That's how that is. I live in church housing. I live unlike these other freaks and lowlifes and pimps in the pulpit in this community who take up offerings and jump in their expensive automobiles and then run out and buy themselves a house right next to somebody white people, somebody white, and then say, we're the only ones in the neighborhood. We send our children to a white school. I don't do that. I live among the people. And by the way, you know, if you're going to be a priest, you have to live in the parish. You can't be a priest. You can't be Timothy Dolan, uh, the cardinal of, of, of St. Patrick's, and living in Westchester County. Even people of a social understanding understanding how critical it is that leaders, spiritual leaders in particular, ought to live around the people that's in their parish. Used to be here in New York City, if you're going to be a police officer, you have to live in the community where the people live. The big debate that went on in Ferguson, Missouri, going back with Michael Brown, is that of the 50-some police officers that were there that were white, they lived in other neighborhoods. And one of the ways to bring a better relation between blacks and whites who are police officers in the community is that police officers ought to live in the community. These low-life tramps like Cornell West and others and preachers of, the, the, of these churches and in this community run out there and live with white people. And those are the people you think are great people. And then you you blaspheme me for living in the community every day of the week. When I walk out my house, I walk out among the people. Uh, Pastor Manning, uh, it's interesting because you like to refer to people, very highly educated people like Cordell West, as idiots. Um, and I'm really curious about our history. Uh, we have had some communication in the past, not directly, but we've made videos in response to one another. And in one of the videos, you were upset at something I said about you. I called you ignorant, and I still do think you are ignorant. Uh, but you said that I was here because of my boobs and not my brains. And then you showed a picture of me dressed extremely modestly, which I do on the show on a regular basis. I'm wearing a turtleneck sweater, and you kept referring to my boobs and not my brains. So my question to you is, did you ever do any research into my history and my education, and are you aware at all that I'm more educated than you are because I have a degree, a graduate degree, from an accredited university, while you have a graduate degree from a university that's unaccredited that you found yourself? Well, are you still upset about what I said about those boobs thing? It, it appears mean, appears that I am, so goal. I'd like you to answer my question. Can't you get over that? I mean, what, you, why, why are you bring it up in every situation? Oh, by the way, and by the way, listen, I you may not want to accept my PhD. Union Theological Seminary gave me a master, a graduate degree. I graduated there on time, marched with everybody else, 
And Union is pretty well accepted as a school, as one of the best, if not the best theological seminary on the planet. I have a a whole master's from that that institution, Anna. So don't bastardize my educational opportunity and don't compare my education to yours. And and even if you do have a graduate degree, probably from some rinky-dink school, (laughs) uh, your intellectual strengths and no wise compares to my ability or my understanding, my articulation, or my ability to do media, which is what you and I are doing right now. I'm better at this than you are. You're right, Pastor Matt. You do seem like quite an intelligent individual with your conspiracy theories and your ridiculous situations where you jump to conclusions. I do commend you for that. Uh, You know, uh, I just want to clarify. Pastor Manning, this uh, great theological seminary you referred to uh, where you got your Ph.D., it's your school, right? I mean, it's it's Atla. It's that's your church that you got the degree from. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it is. It is that. It is that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Oh, by the way, I have a triple PhD from the Jake Uger School, uh, so I just want to clarify. Listen, that. If you don't have to accept it, uh, but it is what it is. That's and true. I think that if, if, if one simply says, well, because the school is non-accredited, there are a whole lot of schools that are accredited right now, but they're nothing but fleece joints. And many other schools started out non-accredited. How you know we're not accredited now? Yeah. Every school has to start someplace, Jink, don't you think? Yeah, and yeah. Every- I mean, but I wouldn't go around bragging about my PhD for that school. But, and, and, yeah. and because the, the degree was conferred upon me by a non-accredited institution does not mean that the work was not valid work. We don't, our, the reason why our school is not accredited, at least at the high school level, is because we refuse to submit ourselves to the authority of the blasphemous sodomite state that forces us to do things that are against our principles and against our beliefs. So we have uncredited the state of New York and others who would wish to try to make us conform to their ideas. Uh, so go ahead and laugh if you want my PhD. I'm still smarter than both of y'all on your best day. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. I hear you. And by just before uh, I ask the last question, Anna, uh, you are now uh, going to be uh, a higher degree of education than Pastor Manning because I now give you a PhD from the Jank Uger School. Thank okay. you, Jank. Uh, you have been accredited by me. All right. Now, Pastor Manning, finally, uh, you called me an Arab. Um, <laughs> you called J.R. Jackson J.J.R., which I, we have to admit uh, is still our favorite. <laughs> we like that one. That was funny. Um, uh, and, and you criticized me for being possibly darker than you. <laughs> okay. I'm not, yeah. an, <laughs> I'm not an Arab, but that's irrelevant. But... Why, why would it be wrong if I was darker than you? Why is that a bad thing? Maybe somewhere down the line, your, your parents got hooked up with a homeboy. <laughs> and, and the blood is still, in, is still in your color, on your skin, you know. You can't wash that stuff off of you. And you, you've not been to any tanning site any time recently. So I got my suspicions about you, uh, mm. But I don't hold it against you. Oh, thanks, God. Thanks, God. He doesn't hold it against me that I might be a mixed breed. <laughs> you see, let's end on that note, where, where yeah. we, you know, the generosity uh, of uh, one Pastor James David Manning. All right, well, uh, you have been generous with your time as well uh, to come and do this interview. Uh, I think that uh, your positions have been greatly clarified. I think we know where you stand better now, and we appreciate you joining us on The Young Turks, Pastor Manning. Well, thank you for having me, Jenk. And Anna, get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Much love. All right.